This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right, that is the one, the only, Ryan Shumpert. Good afternoon, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Glad to uh, be back on here and... I don't know, I feel like I probably say this every week, but a lot to talk about. Another uh, exciting week in the, the football and basketball world. Yeah, absolutely, right? When, I think when, when Tennessee's got a top five basketball team, there's always going to be something to talk about. When they're in the mix of all this SEC recruiting, there's always going to be something to talk about. So rarely a dull day in Tennessee athletics, and today is not one of them. Today is, by the way, January 23rd. It is a Tuesday afternoon, as Ryan and I are here on the University of Tennessee's snow-covered campus, though I think with the weather this week, it's all going to sort of melt away. Have you had a lot of problems? I know that you know we've gone back and forth on a couple of uh, basketball post-game shows. Have you had a ton of problems this last week, though? Uh, I mean, I feel like just kind of a normal amount in the first couple of days. Uh, I think my roommate has a truck, so I think I got out for the first time on Thursday. And then by Friday, I was out driving myself. And yeah, I mean, you say snow-covered campus. It feels like it's kind of a slush-covered campus at this point. It's yeah. almost nastier walking on the... Less dangerous uh, walking on this stuff now, but almost nastier as it's just very watery and slushy compared to the ice and the snow. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, at least I forget, right? I, I forget the almost the cleanup process to the snow because it doesn't happen that often, and I forget how it just builds up on the yeah. side of the roads, and you just get these Nasty. mountains of snow and dirt and slush and gas and oil, and it's it's pretty gross to uh, to go around and drive through, but... Anyways, that looks like it's going in the rearview mirror. Ryan, right in front of us, though, we have a lot of recruiting news to talk about. It's been a big couple of days for the Tennessee Volunteers. Let's go back two days ago to, I guess that would be Sunday, Tennessee gets two transfer portal commitments, one of them from Lance Hurd. And I think that's the big one that people want to talk about, the former five-star prospect, the, the offensive tackle from LSU. But then Tennessee also got a defensive lineman named Jackson Moy from Stanford. Talk to me a little bit about those two guys and just that your sort of Sunday impressions on where things were going well I'll start with Jackson Moy because it's the uh, less important of the two and uh, defensive tackle has a little bit of versatility played some strong side defensive end for the Cardinal last season uh, two years of two years three years to play two seasons he's played both his freshman and sophomore year at Stanford uh, so I think that's kind of what stands out I mean you entered the offseason in Tennessee you thought there was a real possibility they could be really thin at defensive tackle. But senior Amari Thomas is coming back for a super senior season. Senior Elijah Simmons is coming back for a super senior season. Redshirt junior uh, Omar Norman Lott, who went through uh, senior day festivities, is coming back for his redshirt senior season. So all of a sudden, you have all those guys coming back. Bryson Easton, who's been a starter, coming back. Some young guys like Davian Hobbs and Tyrese Weathersby back. There's not necessarily as much of a concern about depth for this year. Uh, but certainly I think Moy is good enough of a player to be in the rotation. And I think it'll probably be more important when you start to look towards 2025, what will be his senior yeah. year when Tennessee loses all those guys that no longer have any more eligibility. So that's what stands out about uh, Jackson Moy from Stanford. And then Zaylin's heard or Lance heard from LSU. I mean, it was just a massive one. And Tennessee had to go out and land somebody at offensive tackle, especially after they lost Gerald Mincy to the portal. And uh, they went out and got who I think is the number three Offensive tackle in the transfer portal. Uh, one of the top guys was a guy that went from, I think, Oklahoma to Missouri. That happened pretty early in December. Uh, the other one was the, the Proctor kid uh, at Alabama who entered, and it was very clear he was going to go to Iowa. That's where he's from. He was committed to Iowa before he ended up going to Alabama. So it was of Tennessee's realistic options. It was the best guy available, and they went out and landed him. And, again, kind of in the same sense uh, with Moy, just a true freshman this past year. He's going to – has at least, uh, well, I say all this, these transfer rules. He yeah. can obviously still transfer <laughs> after next season, too. But ideally for Tennessee, he's going to be there at least two years and, you know, potentially three years. So a multi-year starter, a former five-star recruit, top 15 guy in the transfer portal, uh, are probably the best get they've gotten to date. And when you talk, we've talked about Tennessee's issues along the offensive line and depth and how they haven't recruited there and developed there as well as you'd like. So many of the solutions that felt like were going to be Band-Aid solutions – Again, you don't notice for sure. Any modern college football can still transfer. This feels like a little bit more of a long-term solution with a really high-end talent, which 
makes it just a, a really a grand slam get for the Vols. Yeah, I remember you asking me, I think it was on last week's show, and you just said, so who, who is your favorite out of the portal so far? And Tennessee's added two since then, the two guys that we're talking about with Hurd and Moy. Uh, but we both kind of agreed that if Tennessee were to land uh, Lance Hurd, that would be both of our collective favorite players from the portal just because of what Tennessee needed. Because make no mistake about it, this is a position that Tennessee needed. Now, uh, going back about a week or so ago, Tennessee uh, tackled John Campbell Jr. He posted a video himself of himself working out on the right side of the line. So over at the right tackle position, you would think that certainly gives Lance Hurd an opportunity to come in and play for the vacant left tackle position. And then the, there you go. You've got pretty two good tackles right there leading you through the charge with freshman quarterback, or I guess not freshman, but second-year quarterback Nico Iamaliava in the system. Lance Hurd is six foot six, 340 pounds. He was named to the freshman All-SEC team last year after a promising first season in Death Valley. This is just a really talented player that Tennessee picked up. And again, we can sit here and talk about the attributes or what he's good at or why he's good at. And I think those are all relevant conversations. But at the end of the day, this was a position of need for Tennessee, and they landed a really talented player at that position. No doubt. And, you know, Tennessee, they made a risk or they gambled by letting Gerald Mincy walk. And that could have really blown up in their face if they hadn't landed anybody at all. And obviously they went really, really hard on Lance Hurd. Uh, I'm forgetting the – the prospect's name, but he was a transfer from Mississippi State. He ended up at Auburn, uh, an offensive tackle who was originally going to visit Tennessee, and then it sounded like Tennessee canceled that visit, you know, all just before Lance Hurd had committed. So they had put all their chips into the table of landing Lance Hurd. If you don't land Lance Hurd, that, you know, that's almost disastrous. You're going to go into the season with Dane Davis as your second offensive tackle and, you know, a, a second-year guy in Sham Umarov or maybe a first-year guy in Bennett Warren. I guess Larry Johnson is a Juco guy. It'd be your second year in your program. If you don't land if you don't land anybody. And instead, Tennessee really upgrades at that spot. You know, they obviously yeah. it sounds like uh, Hurd is going to play left tackle and John Campbell will slide over to right tackle, so it's not exactly a one for one thing or right tackle. But you know, I think Lance Hurd is going to be a better offensive tackle than Gerald Mincy was. Obviously Gerald Mincy had some headaches that he caused uh, off the field as well. And then the fact that Mincy's only got has one year of eligibility remaining. Lance Hurd, again, like I said, has three years remaining uh, and, you know, at least two years before he can go pro. So uh, I think that's maybe one of my biggest takeaways from it is that Tennessee's gamble, Josh Heifel's risk, it paid off since Tennessee landed Lance Hurd. Yeah, and, then, and you're talking about the gambling, you're talking about the risk, and that's just kind of the new world of college football. And it's the new world of college athletics, obviously, but in football when there is that much importance at a certain position, but there is so much more uh, when it terms of, in terms of quantity, just in the, the amount of players in the transfer portal or looking for a new destination, that's absolutely true because they're not all going to be as talented as the ones that Tennessee brought in. Uh, so, Ryan, basically kind of projecting ahead towards next season, Obviously, injuries or, or things that are unexpected could pop up during the offseason. But you've pretty much got your Tennessee offensive line uh, factored in. I think it's pretty much coming to view going from right to left. Seems like you're probably going to have John Campbell Jr., Javante Spragans, who is in the Tennessee student directory here for the spring semester. Uh, that was confirmed to Rocky Top Insider today. Yes, yeah, he's... Uh... Back, you know, back with the team on campus in classes, not going through workouts as he still recovers from that uh, injury he suffered in the Missouri game, and you know led to him missing the Georgia Vanderbilt and Iowa games in the year. But back, gonna be on the team again next year, which I don't think is any surprise. That's kind of been what the thought has been for a while, but never an announcement from him. So officially, official as classes start back at UT this weekend, he is on campus and back with the team as they kind of start the. Uh, 2024 football calendar. So John Campbell, Javante Spragans, Cooper Mays at center. What's the left guard position looking like? I mean, I think it would, I you, think that's kind of maybe the one. That's the one. The one question mark a on the more team. Up in the air, you know. On I the line, Andres Carrick and Jackson Lampley are probably the two guys you would turn to as the favorites to win that job. Uh, I'm sure other guys will get opportunities. Um, you know, Mo, Mo Clipper might be one. Uh, or is he the one in? He's the one with the Charlotte. What's the Bison Lang's again? Yes, Bison Lang could you know get an opportunity there. He seems probably like he's going to be Cooper Mason's backup at center, so I don't know how much that might hurt him in landing or winning that job. Um, and then left tackle, well, like we've talked about, Lance Hurd. 
And then you close it off on the, uh, I guess you bookend it with uh, Lance Hurd that, yeah. that you're talking about right there. So, yeah, I think if you can if you can be sitting here in about late January before February even hits and you feel pretty good about four of your offensive line spots, including your center and both of your tackles, I think that's a pretty good place to be. And as we've written about at RocketTopInsider.com, you know, so much of next season is going to revolve around getting Nico Iamaliava into comfortable positions, getting him a, a pocket that he can throw from, uh, not making him use his legs certainly sort of as much, uh, use, making him use his legs in as much of sort of panicking situations as much as he did in the Iowa game. A lot of this conversation about, around the offensive line, uh, Tennessee is sitting in a pretty good position with. So that was certainly some of the biggest news coming out on Sunday, uh, but then the news didn't stop there on, on Monday, did it? No, I mean, for his current roster, not necessarily, but obviously big news in the Tennessee football recruiting world. Tennessee lands five-star quarterback George McIntyre from Brentwood Academy. That's not where you went, right? No, I went to Brentwood High School, public school, right on the same, I guess not quite the same street, but right down Granny White Pike, probably three minutes, half a mile or so. Okay, so right there. So uh, George McIntyre again. A six foot six quarterback, 180 pounds from Brentwood Academy over in Nashville, Tennessee. The number 15 player overall in the country, the number three quarterback in the country, and the number one player from the Volunteer State in the 2025 class. I don't actually know where to start with this, right? Because there's so many directions that you could go. One of the things that pops in my head is Josh Heupel talks about a lot, and every coach talks about this. Everybody knows this, but just the importance of securing your own borders, locking down your own borders. Tennessee had the number one uh, number one player in the state of Tennessee. He is a he is a dynamic game changing quarterback. Tennessee needed to land uh, land him, and they did. No, no doubt. And you know, I think it starts for me kind of in a similar vein, just the fact that he was the guy Tennessee had targeted. He was the number one quarterback, and. You know, they'd had Deuce Knight uh, on campus a handful of times, and Deuce Knight was from um, Mississippi. He came up to Lipscomb Academy in Nashville for, I don't know, um, the first month of the season before going back to Mississippi. And he committed to Notre Dame back in the fall. And, you know, Tennessee, obviously, it wasn't like they weren't recruiting him at all. But it was very clear the whole time George McIntyre was the number one guy. And when you're not prioritizing a guy that's the top 60 recruit nationally and the number five quarterback in the country – it's, you know, kind of you better get the guy you're targeting. And that's exactly what Tennessee did in getting McIntyre. So just a massive, massive land. And, you know, it, it – and obviously these things rarely fit this cleanly, but it matches the timetable of Nico Yamaliava is the guy that Tennessee hopes that he is where he plays two seasons and then is off to the NFL. That would give McIntyre basically the opportunity to do the same thing that Yamaliava did, sit on the bench for one year and then step in the starting role uh, in his second year on campus. Again, it's rarely that clean. Tennessee also signed Jake Merklinger, who was a four-star quarterback in the 2024 signing class. Um, but typically, I feel like that's kind of how it works now. You want to hit your best quarterback prospects. You want to get them two years separated from one another, and, and that's what Tennessee does. And the two five-star, recruit, five-star quarterbacks they have signed in this century – Nico Iamaliava, George McIntyre, the timeline, all that stuff matches up pretty well. So uh, a lot to be excited about for Tennessee. Yeah, you're right. And I even think going back to that Nico commitment, I, be- I want to say that was maybe in April uh, of 2022. I believe late March. Late March? It was the okay, Monday so after early. Tennessee basketball lost to Michigan in the NCAA tournament. That's right. Okay, so even earlier than I was thinking. So. You know, what an advantageous opportunity for not just Tennessee, but the coaching staff and the recruiting division, everything coming together to be able to, again, just like in that 2023 situation, be able to say, hey, look, we have a a bona fide quarterback that we are going to build around, a landmark piece of this class that we are now going to be building around. You look even at some of the activity on social media, and there are uh, there's a pretty good list of high-level prospects that George McIntyre has already been sort of reaching out to, has been giving shout-outs to online social media. We know how that world works, right? We know that a lot yeah. of these guys are, are using each other for you know publicity and, and sort of the attention. They want to have funds. They want to be friends. Not all of them end up going together, uh, but it's a great place for Tennessee to be in this early in the class as somebody who can say, hey, look, we do have a uh, we have a great quarterback, one of the high level prospects in the class. This is the guy we're going to be building around. This is the guy you're going to be blocking for. Uh, you're going to be catching from whatever it may be. It's just a great piece to have in the class. Some of the names that that he's already been sort of reaching out to on Twitter. Uh, you have uh, uh, Jalen Matthews, who is a who is the number eleven offensive tackle in the class. 
You have David Sanders Jr., who's the number one offensive tackle in the class. Cameron Sparks, uh, who is a Chattanooga guy, I believe. Yeah, he's Baylor. Number, yeah, yeah, Baylor. Cool. He's the number one athlete in the class. So, uh, and, and there's more as well. Marcus Harris, who's a, who's a very talented wide receiver in the class, number 10 receiver in the nation. So there's a lot of guys that, that George McIntyre has already been kind of reaching out to. But again, it just puts Tennessee in a great sort of starting position. I know they're not exactly at the start of the cycle, but a starting position as the main part of the build ramps up. Tennessee's got a guy they can point to and say, that's going to be our guy. Yeah, and still very early part of the cycle. You're right. It's not the very beginning, but this is – you kind of you get to January and the modern recruiting calendar. That's when you kind of really start turning to the next class. And for Tennessee, to get McIntyre in mid-January, yeah, mid uh, that's, that's big. And, you know, I think it's maybe even more important until – or from the, the standpoint of – more important than Nico's commitment from a peer recruiting standpoint because obviously Nico was a huge prospect that did, you know did a lot of the same things people want to play with top quarterbacks like that. Well, Nico lived you know the whole country away in yeah. California. McIntyre's two and a half hours away. When Tennessee has these guys on campus, you know I'm sure we'll see him up in Knoxville a ton over the next year on these big recruiting weekends or even not as many big recruiting weekends, but weekends where they have a guy like David Sanders or they have a guy like Cameron Sparks on campus to spend time with those guys and be able to. Maybe more hands-on peer recruit, and you know some of that sometimes can be overrated. Um, but I do think it certainly better to have than not to have. And I think in this case of being a quarterback and it being really early in the cycle, it certainly could pay dividends. Here's what uh, Andrew Ivins had to say about McIntyre in a scouting analysis. That is the two four seven Sports Director of Scouting. Again, Andrew Ivins quote. High upside quarterback prospect with a franchise-worthy frame, college-level arm, and fluid pocket movements on the skinnier side, but is over six foot five and is likely going to fill out some more once he's done playing basketball. Possesses a cleaner stroke and can drive the football fifty plus yards. Shows touch on deep shots and will use trajectory to his advantage. Should not be viewed as a true dual threat talent, but is elusive in the face of pressure and will slip and spin away from trouble. I think that's a really good way to put it, Ryan. I, I've kind of been diving through some of his recruiting film. Uh, and some of his high school film over the last couple months, and that's what I've seen as well. You know, a, a guy who looks every bit of the six foot six frame when he's in the field. He, he's a guy that looks like a true pocket passing quarterback that he can sit back there. He wants to find his receiver down the field, and he can make the throws down the field. Now, sometimes he, he I do believe that he had twelve interceptions in the year. So sometimes maybe the accuracy was a little bit off or, or the decision making, but nonetheless, just a, a raw, talented prospect who can throw the ball, uh, like Andrew Ivins referred to. I didn't see too many designed runs or anything like that, but you did see the ability to slip and spin out of pressure when he needed to and sort of get the ball downfield. Now, I don't know if it was just in the highlights and, and maybe some of the other plays weren't exactly shown, but it did look like when he, when he was running the ball, he knew how to get away from trouble, right? He wasn't a guy who, as a junior, was taking unnecessarily hits at the high school scene or anything, so he was finding open space. He was finding the sideline, but, but very impressive film nonetheless, I think. Uh, again, just a really solid prospect that, that I think is going to uh, Josh Heupel's going to have a lot of fun to work with as he sort of crafts what he wants McIntyre to be in that offense as it kind of progresses down the road here in a couple years. Certainly a big arm like you'd expect for a prospect of his size. And, yeah, not like a true runner, but kind of, you know, in the same – probably not quite as fast as Nico, but kind of in the same build of being elusive, being able shifty. to in plays. Yeah, shifty is a good word for it. So uh, that's big. You know, it was not a very good year for Brentwood Academy on the football field. They had hired a coach from, I can't remember where, somewhere up north his first year. He ends up getting fired. So it'll be interesting to see how B.A. bounces back uh, next year and what that looks like for George McIntyre. And, you know, obviously still a guy that, despite not a great season for the team, put up some big numbers. Do you guys have a rivalry? Not really. I mean, they never really played. Uh, right, that's what I was thinking. Like, I, I wouldn't expect them to cross paths too often, despite yes. being three miles down the road. Yeah, I know the coach at Broad High School for a long time uh, – Never really wanted to play BA because BA, you know, the private schools they recruit, Brentwood yeah. does not recruit. And, you know, BA is almost always better uh, in football than, than Brentwood High School is. They actually did play this year in Brentwood High School. My, my mighty Bruins did come out with the win um, early in the season, but obviously bad year for BA, and it was a very good year for, for Brentwood High School. But no, don't, don't typically play a lot. Um, the only time I can really, I can't hardly ever remember playing in football, my freshman year they played in basketball. Which this would have been Darius Garland was my class, so he was a freshman, and then BA had like Cam Johnson and they were all young players, but yeah. you know pretty good players, and a couple of guys went and played football at Vanderbilt. 
And my Bruins, we, we whipped up on them. We beat them by like 30. So that's really the only previous time I can remember playing uh, Berwyn High School, playing Berwyn Academy. But again, on the football field, Berwyn Academy, almost always better. It is kind of funny to like the one time it feels like they played this past year was it was a year that the Berwyn High School was able to win. And again, Berwyn <laughs> was undefeated, yeah. lost in the state semifinals. BA, like I said, had a really bad year. I can't remember what their final record was. And BHS won a really close game, you know. So it wasn't like they blew them out by any means. Speaking of Vanderbilt, were you surprised? That, this is just a, a totally separate note. But were you surprised to see it all that, you know, George McIntyre during his commitment yesterday, he posts a video of a, a really nice video. I mean, extremely well produced of sort of his timeline to making his decision and then why he chose Tennessee. See, it was uh, it was a good hype video at it, at its core. Just saying, yeah. you know, hey, this is my calling. This is my state. This is where I want to be. But he did show some some pictures of himself in yes. Tennessee clothes as a kid. Did you have any surprise that he was saying that he was such a childhood fan, despite the Vanderbilt family ties that he has? I believe it's his grandfather George McIntyre, whose same name. Uh, I believe he was a former head coach at Vanderbilt. Uh, were you a little bit surprised by yeah, that? Yeah, I was when I saw it. And then his uncle, Mike McIntyre, who's coach at Ford International now, also played at Vanderbilt. And I think his dad went to Vanderbilt too, though I'm not positive on that. I did what I learned later on. He did an interview, uh, George McIntyre, that is, did an interview with Andres Josh Newberg, where he revealed that his mom's side of the family, all okay. massive Tennessee fans. So I was surprised. Oh, okay. I was surprised when I saw that, but that was the backstory to it. That basically, his dad's side of the family, all very much, you know, football side of the family, a lot of Vanderbilt ties, but his mom's side, uh, all really big Tennessee fans. Okay, so a house-divided situation yeah. a little bit uh, there in the mid-state. Um, yeah, if you want to go and check out that video, it's over on rocketopinsider.com. Just search video, and you will find it over there. But that was a uh, – it, it was a good video to certainly get people excited and. People were excited yesterday. It was the buzz of town, the talk of town, uh, and definitely in certain college football circles, the talk of the college football world yesterday, Tennessee landing a massive five-star 2025 quarterback. One other quick note before we transition to a little bit of basketball talk, or I'll get your last thoughts on anything football-related, but uh, Nico Imaliava, he, he, FanDuel continues to sort of update their Heisman Trophy odds as we sit here just way too many months out from the from the season to be really even caring about that but it is something that's out there just in its most broad sense possible in its most global view Nico Yamalava sixth place or I guess the sixth highest ranked Heisman odds does that surprise you just what is your first initial impression of that uh I don't think I really necessarily have any crazy reaction to it I mean I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you know they're pandering or you know big fan bases are going to be the ones that are voting on these or, or betting on these things you're going to have a lot more tennessee fans or alabama fans yeah. you have massive fan bases and follow college football year round wanting to bet on their team's best player or their team's most likely heisman trophy player to win the heisman then you're going to have necessarily from i don't know uh, some some other smaller fan base, North Carolina or something like that, even though obviously North Carolina doesn't have a Heisman candidate. And, you know, that's kind of the nature of it, too, is that I don't think there necessarily are a lot of clear-cut Heisman fit candidates this year. I mean, you look at the guys, I guess, that were in uh, New York last year. I'm kind of blanking on it. Obviously, Jaden Daniels won, and he's gone, and Michael Penix uh, was in there, and he didn't win. Did Blake Corum make it for Michigan? Was he a Heisman uh, was finalist? Harrison. I think Harrison, Harrison was. Harrison was one. I guess that's maybe who I was thinking of. Harrison's gone. A lot of the main biggest names in college football last year who would have been involved in that conversation are gone. I would think Carson Beck at Georgia, without having seen the odds, I would think Carson Beck at Georgia. Oh, uh, it was Bo Nix. Bo Nix, yeah. Another player that is gone. So a lot of the guys that were at the top of that list. college player. Yeah, a lot of those guys that were at the top of that list last year are gone. So there is a big vacancy i would imagine no one necessarily even has great odds to win again i would think carson beck would probably be the favorite yeah he uh, is georgia um milrose probably pretty high on that list uh milrose one spot above nico at five okay quinn ewers at texas quinn ewers is at two i believe he's actually tied with whoever i just said was carson beck for number one okay yeah so uh, there's a handful of candidates you know are obvious returning quarterbacks on good teams um that had good seasons last year but not maybe not as many as there are in some years. So I'm not shocked by it. I mean, I and I say all that stuff about 
you know, playing to the fan bases that are going to vote on it a lot or, or going to, or excuse me, bet on it a lot. You know, certainly Nico has really high end talent, and why I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. You know, he probably is a top 10 most likely guy, you know, I would guess going into the season. Top names on the board, just real quick George's Carson Beck, Texas is Quinn Ewers, um, Oregon's Dylan Gabriel, Ohio yeah. State's Will Howard, okay. Alabama's Jalen Milrow, Tennessee's Nico Yamaliava, and then Oklahoma's Jackson Dart and. Uh, Ole Miss's Jackson Arnold from Oklahoma. Then Ole Miss's Jackson Dart. Then LSU's Garrett Nussmeyer. So uh, pretty good, a pretty good handful of SEC quarterbacks right there at the top of those uh, rankings. Yeah, that does make sense. And obviously Dylan Gabriel and Will Howard, first year in playing in the systems that they're playing in, but have proven to be pretty good players. And obviously both those offenses, especially Ohio State, uh, has produced a lot of a lot of quarterbacks to put up big numbers and are in the Heisman conversation. One more thing, how many former Tennessee players advance to the Super Bowl? You have uh, you mean, uh, the all right. AFC ch- the championship. Yes, okay, uh, the championship weekend, yes, and then okay. and then we'll play this game again next week, uh, if applicable. Uh, so Juwan Jennings for the 49ers. Oh, well, I thought you were, gonna, you were asking me. I thought you were going to see how many I could get. Oh. I wanted to make a little game out of it. Oh, actually, well, then I was right the first time. How many advanced to the Super oh, Bowl well, after meant, this weekend? I meant how many okay. are still alive. Okay, all right, see how you can get it. How okay, many, well, how many are I, alive in the playoffs? I think in the AFC it's just Trey Smith. I don't think the Ravens have any. Yeah, you're correct. And I think the Ravens are going to win, so nobody in the AFC. Okay. And, and by the way, three straight AFC championships for Trey Smith in his first three seasons. He's never missed the AFC championship so far. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's probably pretty nice He's got play. a good quarterback, to, play. He's got a good quarterback to play for. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the NFC, yes, Jawan is the only guy on the 49ers, I okay. think. And then Jalen Reeves, Maven, and Cam Sutton both on the Lions. Is Emmanuel Mosley on the Lions, too? He is. Okay. I don't think he's played a whole lot. He's out for the season, actually, for, with, a, right, with a season-ending yeah. injury. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, I think the 49ers are going to win, so I'll say one. I'll say Jawan's the only guy. Yeah, I think if you're a Tennessee fan trying to find your rooting interest that has nothing to do with any sort of uh, preconceived bias or notion, you're probably cheering for the Lions. And the Lions are the most likable team just from the other Yeah, they, they feel like feel America's like. team right now. But uh, I, I do think that people might be pretty torn, right? Do they want to see, you know, just a veteran, you know, just a, a dude from back in the day and Jalen Rees-Maben, but then also these other guys who, who they know and love, or one of the most beloved and memorable players in Tennessee sports history, uh, with Juwan Jennings, yeah. so I, I think some people are probably pretty, uh, you know, pretty handcuffed there about who they want to pull for. But ultimately, it's a win-win situation for some of those guys. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and we, I guess, the Ravens, the only team that doesn't have anybody on it. Morgan Cox played there for a long time. I think he's been with the Titans the last two years, though. Um, so yeah, and you know, I say, I say, I think the Ravens will win. I maybe have a little bit bias there. I may have a Ravens AFC Championship and a Ravens Super Bowl ticket from mid October. Oh would, wow! Would pay me out oh wow! Well, so okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Trey Smith. My my pocketbook. My uh, I guess I'm not pocketbook. I'm I'm, I'm not carrying around a pocketbook. My wallet would do a lot better uh, with the Ravens. What about a guy not on the field? On the sideline right. for the Ravens, T. Martin, T. Martin who is the quarterback's uh, the coach. quarterbacks coach, who, yeah. who's let's say doing a pretty good job, considering uh, Lamar Jackson's probably just a couple days away or so from winning the National Football League MVP. Yeah, certainly, I've, I had forgotten about him. It's a pretty good there. tick on his uh, resume. Yeah, definitely. So that is good. All, all four teams have some sort of Tennessee Tennessee tie. connection, um, and yeah, it's been T. Martin. I think even when he went there a few years ago, uh, right, you know, when he was on Pruitt's staff. After all that, I think he was the receivers coach uh, originally in Baltimore, but I think it's this year maybe has been his first year as quarterbacks coach. So shout out to Martin. Former Tennessee individual, former Tennessee player, I guess this definitely works too, will make it to the Super Bowl from uh, from both sides. So that is something to note. We'll talk about that all later. But, Ryan, we got to flip the script and uh, get on to sort of the second half of this podcast right here and – you know, I don't know where to start this. It is Dalton Connect's world, and we are all yeah. just living in it, right? <laughs> this is a guy who scored 128 points over his last four-game stretch. That is an unbelievable mark. You, you go back to uh, you go back to what was that game? I guess it was Georgia was the start of that run. Second half of Mississippi State. Second half of Mississippi State yeah. was the start of that run. You, you go into Georgia, both those games on the road. But then what Tennessee was able to do this past week, you have a... 
uh, a little bit of a testing week that that previous one. You've got two road games. Tennessee loses to Mississippi State despite a, a, a vicious second half comeback. Tennessee does make the second half comeback against Georgia, takes home the victory after that. But then how they responded this next week against two rivals in sort of uh, jarring conditions. I mean, I know it wasn't on the court, but there's a lot going on inside the city when the city kind of gets shut down and the snow's coming down and everything like that. Tennessee turns that into a combined 39-point win against both teams, 19-point win over Florida, 20-point win over Alabama. Tennessee just erupts to make a statement over both of those uh, SEC rivals. But again, it's the Dawn Connect show and then the Jonas Adu show who, who hit 19 points in both of those home games last week, 19 points even on both of them. Uh, just really, really good production from Tennessee. I did not go to get to go to either of the games because of the snow. You were at the second one against Alabama, but – uh, it's kind of a different view when you're watching it from your couch, as you yeah. know. It's it's sort of a little bit more leisure, and at least for me, I do a little bit more just kind of open thinking when I'm just watching from my house, a little bit more relaxed environment. To me, it was just saying to myself, this is Tennessee when it is as efficient as when, – when the efficiency is, is high, right? Like this is what it looks like when the gears are turning correctly. Would you say the same? No, 100%. You know, they won both those games, like I think, by 19 and 20 points. I don't think they ever trailed. I know they didn't trail against Alabama, and if they did against Florida, it was briefly and very early in the game. So, you know, just dominating performances, and, you know, Tennessee was was really firing on all cylinders. The offense continues to look good, and, you know, defense, I think, is the thing that stood out. I, I wrote about maybe not even in a full article. Heck, it might have just been our Florida preview where I said, hey, you know, the last two games on the road, Mississippi State and Georgia, Tennessee's defense wasn't great. Now they come home against Alabama, who has the best offense in the entire country, and Florida, who is, you know, a top 25, 30 offense country, two really good offenses. And you just saw how good Tennessee's uh, defense can be, you know, just a reminder of it, I guess. Alabama yeah. with its lowest scoring total of the season, Florida with its lowest scoring total of the season. Jemai Meshack and Zakai Ziegler were just absolutely fantastic. That's what Jones they do on the defensive end against Alabama. Um, and yeah, just dominating form. I mean, I think not that this is super surprising because Tennessee has a good team and it's hard to win on the road in college basketball and Tennessee's been good at home uh, under uh, head coach Rick Barnes and really in recent season as well. Um, but the fact that Tennessee won those games in lopsided form, it, it feels like to me I'd be surprised if Tennessee loses a game at home this season and really the only team I think that can beat them or at home, or maybe not can, but has much of a chance of beating them at home is Auburn. Just because Johnny Broom, uh, the big man for Auburn, that's been the matchup concern we've seen with Tennessee. All four of their losses have come against really good interior scoring big men. Johnny Broom is just that. Kentucky obviously is a really, really good team, but I think a lot of the same issues that Alabama has struggling on the defensive end I think will make it tough for them to come into Knoxville and win. So uh, I think Tennessee will go 9-0 in SEC play at home, and then it starts talking about how many wins on the road can you collect and how many uh, big games can you win on the road when you're talking about trying to win an SEC regular season title. Yeah, those road games are, are, are going to be tough. We all know how important they are, but again, just kind of keeping that winning streak at home is going to be important as well. Tennessee now 50 straight weeks under Rick Barnes, yeah. ranked inside the AP Top 25. That's an impressive mark. I mean, just a wickedly impressive mark that I think kind of uh, um, speaks very highly to the, the long-term efficiency that's been going on in the program right here. Uh, the other thing that I'll say getting back to the court, though, is that one of the things that I, I really felt like was on display here in those two games were the fact that the spacing on the court, especially from the offensive end of the court, was so nice. And I thought that it was just so advantageous to Tennessee. You saw the way that Jonas Adu and, and Dalton Connect were able to work a work with each other but kind of against each other's play style working off of one each other I should say uh, and I felt like that sort of gave Tennessee a new level of, of uh, dynamics on the court it takes a lot for a defense to guard both of those guys right especially when they're as versatile as they have been in the last couple of games then that makes it even more challenging to to step back you still got guys like a Zakai Ziegler or a Santiago Vescovi on the perimeter who are on the perimeter who are waiting to hit down a shot. Now, I know it hasn't always gone down, depending on who you're talking about, but it's still a dangerous team when things are working, and I do think that the spacing is one of the big reasons because of that. Uh, and then number two, I think we even might have talked about this a week or two ago, but you can just tell that, that with Dalton Connect right now, it's really easy to tell how, how just um, 
how do I want to phrase this, how the gears are turning so much during the course of a game. Obviously, he's going to be the player that, that the opposition targets, that they game plan for, that they scheme for. We need to slow down this guy. But I almost feel like you can just kind of watch, especially in the first half, those gears start to turn as he's figuring out what the opponent, uh, what the opponent is going to do, then what he figures out how he is going to adjust. It's just a really cool kind of game within the game that I think he, he's really progressing at well right now as sort of all this play is coming slower. And then the last thing is I just think that you can tell that these players are really understanding how to work with each other. A lot of them are veterans. A lot of them are guys who have played together before. But I think especially when you throw in a piece like Dalton Connect, the, the new sort of main offensive weapon, the leading scorer for the team, there are going to be more adjustments around that. So I think these guys, you can just see, uh, are, are really starting to figure out how to play with each other. Not that that was a, a problem or a, or a concern previously in the season, but I think you can just really see that continuity going on right now. Certainly, and I think I think we talked about this maybe on the post game after Alabama, but you know, just the continued evolution, or maybe it was Florida, because I thought they probably did it more against Florida, but the continued evolution of Tennessee just playing different on the offensive end, where they're, in, you know, under Rick Barnes, they've really not been a heavy ball screen team. It's a lot more off-ball movement and cutting is how they like to create offense. And you see Dalton Connect and Sky Ziegler probably their two best creators on the offensive end. Dalton Connect more for himself, Sky Ziegler more for others. Both those guys are really good in the pick and roll. And Jonas do I feel like his scoring skill set's almost best out of the pick and roll, the way he can catch the ball within, I don't know, eight feet of the basket, facing the basket, and score at a really high clip. So uh, I think you give a lot of credit to Tennessee's coaches for continuing to play into that and playing into what their players do best. And I think that's been an important part of it. And, and, you know, I was talking to Rod Clark about this uh, last week for a specific story, but – one of the things I think has been big for Dalton Connect and Tennessee as a whole is when you're running that high ball screen with Dalton Connect. You got Zakai Ziegler, you got Jemai Meshack, you got Josiah Jordan James, these best defensive players for Tennessee. Like you said, they're standing on the perimeter, spacing the floor. They're not moving a ton on the offensive end. They're not exerting a lot of energy on the offensive end, which allows them to play even harder uh, and play for longer, sp- play even harder on the defensive end of the court and be able to play for longer spurts at a time. So. Uh, I think that's something I hadn't really thought about, but it is an additional benefit of the way they're playing. And again, Josiah Jordan-James is off to a very cold start shooting in SEC play. Just having him out there and the threat that he poses as a four-man, it's, it's so, it does so much for Tennessee's spacing. And the fact that you know a lot of teams, the four guy on it, just on, that, on whatever team Tennessee's playing, Josiah is more athletic than can beat off the dribble, and that might not always lead to baskets for him, um, but it, it helps get defenses into rotation and helps set up driving lanes and open shots for other players. And uh, it's, you know, one of – I think it all starts with Dalton Connect, but when you talk about how Dalton Connect's ability opens things up for his offense, it just has, like, ripple effects. And I think yeah. that is kind of one of the ripple effects. And when you talk about the spacing, which in turn helps Dalton Connect, Josiah Jordan-James playing – Basically, 99, 98% of his minutes this season at the four is a big part of that. Yeah, and then one last guy to, to, to mention is Jemai Meshack, who, who continues to kind of be this unsung hero of the team. Though I think there's a lot more credit and attribution that's going his way right now uh, from maybe some of the people who are, who are covering the program or around the program. But he, he is just phenomenal at what he does for Tennessee, and he's so important at what he does for Tennessee. It's something that Rick Barnes talked about after one of the games last week, but just sort of, hey, you might not see it on the stat sheet, but this is a guy who, 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 who does a little bit of everything for us, and he's a guy that other coaches call after the season or before the season or during the offseason or whenever it is and say, hey, you know what, you got a really good team there, but I really like that Jemai Meshack kid, and I, I think that Tennessee has one of the types of players that is so sought after by every single team in the league you know, you see with fans, and some might get frustrated at the scoring ability or, or something like that. But uh, to me, that that's just a you know that that's sort of a wild take because of what he does so unbelievably well outside of that. I, I think he's a guy that you can look at really the opposition's most important scoring threat, and you say, hey, cover that guy and lock him down. And he's a guy who has the ability to kind of really no matter where he is on the court, uh, you just always see how active he is. He always looks like he, he just chugged a, a five-hour energy right before his his turn, flying everywhere. Is, is, if I moved my arms that much, as much as he does, 
Like, it would come off the hinge. It would just fall off at some point. He's been a real unsung hero for Tennessee. And again, I know that's not even a story as much as it's been in other years, but wanted to give a little bit of recognition to, to me, one of the key players of the Tennessee run as of late. Certainly. And, you know, he was great down the stretch against Georgia in that comeback win. He was great against Alabama. And, and it does, you know, I'm looking at the numbers now. The numbers really don't indicate him being, you know, they don't say a whole lot different from last year. Five and a half points a game to 4.7. From 4.7 points a game, uh, half a minute more playing time a game, a little bit, 0.2 point, 0.2 less steals per game, 0.7 more rebounds. It's not huge different. But to me, he just, he feels more comfortable. He feels more confident. A lot in the same ways that Jonas Adu has been. And I will say the shooting efficiency number is a lot better. Shooting 39% from three this year compared to 31% last year. Again, it's not like he's shooting a ton of threes. He's taken all of 23 of them on the season. Um, but that's 23 compared to 35 last year. So he's going to take more threes this season than he did last year. He's, he's been shooting, finding open spots. Yeah, he's more efficient shooting the ball. And again, that's all secondary uh, to what he does on the defensive end, which is what makes him so good. And, you know, it, it really feels like Tennessee has – Six starters with him out there being uh, the the last guy, the sixth man coming off the bench. And just what he does. Now, I said this, I think, uh, maybe some, doing a radio hit or something with somebody else. When you're talking about Tennessee finding their best five guys or who's going to be on the court at the end of the game. You know, it's going to change. I think you're going to see Zakai Ziegler out there and probably Dalton Connect out there every single game. You're going to see Jonas Adu out there most games. Now there's been, we've seen a couple of games where Tobey Walk has been the guy at the end of the game because Jonas hasn't played great. And then it's kind of those wing guys. Josiah a little bit at the four, Santi a little bit at the two. If Dalton doesn't have it going that night, maybe him at the three. What The thing about Jemai Meshack is what makes Jemai Meshack great, you know you're going to get every single night. You don't know that about yeah. You know it to a little bit more of a degree with Josiah, but you don't know that necessarily with Dalton, though it does seem like he's moving in that direction more. You don't know that necessarily every night with Santi. Uh, you know that with Jemai, and it, it, he has consistency. And then also the versatility of the fact that Santiago Vestavid, Josiah Jordan-James, those are two very different players. In the end of the games, Jemai could be playing in Santi's place if Santi's having a bad night, and he could be playing in Josiah's place if Josiah's having a bad night. So certainly just a, a really, really valuable guy. And uh, again, if you're just... Uh, you know, looking at the box score, you're probably not thinking a ton about Jemai Meshack, but, you know, I, how, how much fun he is to watch. It, it's one of the most fun guys to watch on the team. Now, I want to look ahead at the schedule. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday, uh, you might not know by now, but Tennessee has no game this week here in the middle of the week. Uh, there's an open date because of the conference uh, versus conference. Uh, what's What's... Just the, like showdown, the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. Yeah, the challenge, the, yeah. the you know the the quick little stretch between the teams. Uh, that is obviously no more. So there's a little bit of an open date here in the middle of the week. Now, looking at Tennessee's next two games, I'll be honest, it's hard for my eyes not to wander to that third game next, but I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that more next week. Uh, Tennessee takes on Vanderbilt in Nashville coming up this weekend. That's going to be at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And then South Carolina just a couple of days after that in next week's midweek game at home at 6.30 p.m. And then you travel to Kentucky on the road. Uh, But looking at these two here next game, these two next games uh, coming up this weekend and the next midweek, Vanderbilt should not be uh, – this has been a bad Vanderbilt team, hasn't it? Yeah, yes, accurate. Factual statement. 5-13, <laughs> and 13, that was yeah. 5 in SEC play. Yeah, it, it's, it's been a bad Vanderbilt team. It's certainly an opportunity for Tennessee to sort of exercise some of the demons from the buzzer beater last year. Uh, but it's just a game where Tennessee should, should just travel a couple hours down the road and, and go and take care of business. But then you get to that South Carolina game – where is South Carolina? They're, they're, a, they're a team on the rise. They, they've been a little bit maybe above expectations this year. What, yeah. what have you seen from them? Well, definitely above expectations. Uh, you know, they were a team that was picked last in the SEC. They're certainly not the worst team in the SEC. They're really not even one of the worst teams in the SEC. Uh, without having looked at bracketology this week, I would think they're probably on the bubble. They're a team that uh, has a chance to make the tournament. But, again, that game in next Tuesday or maybe it's next Wednesday. No, it is next Tuesday. That game's in Knoxville. That's one Tennessee should take care of with relative ease. Tennessee goes to Columbia uh, the second-to-last game of the regular season. That's a game that I think will be a much more challenging one uh, for Tennessee. But a better South Carolina team, not, you know, Tennessee, I think, beat them last year. They played them twice. I think they beat them by a combined 85 points in those two games. That's not going to happen this year. Uh, but certainly Tennessee should take care of business at Vanderbilt on Saturday. Uh, should take care of business against South Carolina next Tuesday. And then the next 
Real big game will be uh, in two Saturdays, Saturday, February 3rd, when Tennessee heads to Rupp Arena to face Kentucky. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. Uh, you are right. South Carolina is one of the last eight teams in, uh, according to Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology report. Part of the ne- uh, part of the first eight out are both Florida and Texas. Florida being opponent that Tennessee beat just earlier in the week. Uh, let's see. Right now, they do have Tennessee projected as a two seed in Dallas. That would be the South region. Uh, selfishly, I would love for that to happen. Uh, obviously, there's there's about a million different things that could change any of these projections. But for the most part, over the last month or two, Tennessee has been a very consistent number two seed, just sort of bouncing around between the uh, the South region and the East region with, I think, a maybe week or two spent in the Midwest region. But certainly, as things are tracking, Tennessee has been a very consistent two seed projection uh, throughout ESPN's bracketology um, picks. Definitely. That feels... Like where they're at right now, again, there's a lot of season left. Tennessee went into February last year. They were the number two team in the country. Now they probably weren't a one seed in any of these bractology projections, but the number two team in the AP poll, they ended up being a, a four seed, I guess is what it ended up being. So uh, a lot of basketball left to be played. It does feel like it would be surprising if Tennessee ends up any lower than a three seed, and I'd be probably be a little surprised if they end up on the one line, um, but not impossible. I mean, Houston and, and Purdue, I think, are pretty – I'd be pretty surprised if they, those two teams don't end up being one seats. And, and UConn, I kind of would be a little bit too. But again, a lot of basketball, a lot left to be determined. And we'll see where Tennessee ends up. Yeah, one last thing real quick. You look at Tennessee, 14-4 and four on the season so far. Tennessee's four losses have come to projected number one North Carolina, projected number one Purdue, projected number two Kansas, and then projected number nine Mississippi State. So all Tennessee's losses are to – Obviously, either extremely elite teams or just a good, solid, uh, solid tournament team. So Tennessee's going to try to keep the luck going this week after a monster week taking down two of the rivals in Knoxville by a combined nearly 40 points between the two games uh, as Tennessee continues onward. But until then, it'll be Saturday night in uh, Nashville, Tennessee's next game. Yep. Uh, like you said, a chance to get revenge for the loss there last season. And uh, again, kind of feels like all eyes not within the program, but without the program on that game next Saturday at Kentucky. Tennessee should be able to get the next two um, and be at one loss in SEC play when they, when they head up to Rupp Arena. And that's, an, that's like a true night game. That's an 8.30 p.m., not even, wanna, like a, not even like a 6 or a 7 kind of night game. A true a little, night. A little something about the, the ESPN triple header. Oh, okay. That day. Okay. That evening. Maybe there could, it could be more than three games. But the last three games on ESPN that day. 4 o'clock, Houston at Kansas. It's pretty good. 6.30, Duke at North Carolina. It's pretty good. 8.30, Tennessee, Kentucky. That's basically like four Elite Eight games, or excuse me, three Elite Eight games just in a row on a casual first Saturday of February. The bad news for all those Tennessee fans is that the two-and-a-half-hour gap is not between the Duke-North Carolina game, which means you will probably be finding a different network to watch the first couple of minutes of the Tennessee, <laughs> the Tennessee, the, the Tennessee Kentucky game. I have a hard time. That thinking, makes people so mad. It would make me mad too. If I if I had a, if I'm guessing, I'd be real surprised if that Duke North Carolina game is done in two hours in time for Tennessee Kentucky tip off. Ain't no way. Yeah. Ain't no way it is. And you know they were getting that two-and-a-half-hour gap between the first game because they wanted to make sure they could have Duke North Carolina first game. Hey, real quick, speaking of, I wasn't going to bring this up, but now I am. I actually texted you about this yesterday. Uh, the seven-foot-two Croatian yeah, that Kentucky Z. has, Big Z, when these two teams face off, it's going to be Big Z versus Lil Z. How much of a problem is Big Z? I'm not even going to try it. It's a tough yeah, I don't name. even know I saw I saw somebody. I think I was reading the Field of Sixty Eight newsletter yesterday. Ibisic, and they had it uh, abbreviated out, or you know what's it called when it tells you how to pronounce it. Uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's the not the pro- it's not the pronunciation, it. but the. Um... We just need to stop. We clearly don't know what it is. Um, but it, it was like five, five. Uh, it's a word that let's sounds move, like phone. On. Let's phonetics? Phonetics, yes. That's, that's it? Phonetics? I think so. The phonetic per, you know, spelling of it or whatever that would be. Very, very long. But yeah, we're just making a fool out of ourselves right now. We're just making it clear that we have no idea what we're talking about. 
Now, I think that might be the radio telephonary spelling alphabet. Zavon Umir Evasic. Whoa. Zavon Umir Evasic. Was that all one word or two? That's one word. Okay, so this guy. Uh, he, no, that's two. You're right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's both the first and last. He time. just got uh, cleared by the NCAA. It was sort of a free Eurosh movement going on in Lexington. Uh, but he had a dynamite debut performance against Georgia, I believe, last Saturday in, yes. in Lexington. Yes. He, he came off the bench, immediately recorded a block. Again, he's seven foot two. He can step back from behind the, the arc and, and hit down a couple threes like he did. Uh, he, he made one of the most incredible behind the back passes. I, I think it was even in transition that I've seen in a while. He's good. How much of a problem is he going to be for Tennessee in A, the short term, as in when they got to play him in about three games, but B, maybe more the longer term once he can find to once he can start to kind of find his legs. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that's too hard of a question to ask me at this okay. point. He's played one game and he played like 15 minutes in it. So it's wait and see. Um, certainly he's another guy that raises Kentucky's ceiling. He, he isn't – he's 7-3 or whatever, but he's, he's not a low block scorer. He's not – like I talked about earlier with Johnny Broom at Auburn, he's not his game is not built to exploit Jonas Adu the way some other teams have. So I think in that sense you don't worry about it. But man, Kentucky's offense is is so so good and really so so fun to watch. The way they get out and run in transition, probably the best transition team in the country. And certainly he adds another weapon to that from the fact that he can shoot threes and really is a high level passer. We've uh, we've touched on quite a bit today. Is there anything else you would like to hit before we get out of here? Now I think that's uh, that's all I got. All right, well then let's scram. As always, you know the drill. You can go and check us out on all different social media platforms at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. If you want to follow Ryan Shumpert, you can do that at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But otherwise, just making sure you're going and checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for the latest Tennessee news, notes, and coverage that we have. We normally have several, several articles that are going out each and every day uh, about Tennessee football, basketball, and baseball. So if you want to go find anything, if you want to go chase down any of the news, make sure you're going to rockytopinsider.com first and foremost. Otherwise, we still got a lot of work to do this week, but none of it will be a post game as again, we mentioned that Tennessee basketball is on an open date this week. However, coming up next Saturday night in Nashville, Ron and I will both be in the mid-state for that game. We will have live coverage throughout the contest uh, and then we'll be back for the next game in South Carolina back home on Tuesday night. So we got a lot coming ahead of us. Until then though, make sure you're checking out rockytopinsider.com each and every day. Otherwise, uh, we will uh, we'll be back for the next one. So thank you very much. Stay safe out there. For Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.